my name. My name is Erin James Brown. I uh, currently serve as the interim site pastor at our Urban Village Church site in Edgewater. Um, and I am so excited to be here as a part of our partnership between Urban Village, Edgewater, and South Loop. Over the next few months, we're doing service projects together, like cleaning up the Chicago River. We're having a post-resurrection party, so Jesus will be raised. Don't you wait. Don't you worry. And we're going to party hard, because that's how Jesus is. So make sure you attend some of those events, meeting some of our folks from Edgewater as well. But I'm excited to be here with you. Will you pray with me? God, community is hard. Drawing one another in, holding each other accountable, being in relationship. This is what you call us to, God. This is what you have called humankind to when you, Emmanuel, God came to be with us. You did not leave us alone, but you drew us in closer. And so we ask, God, that we can emulate that among each other not pushing each other away, but bringing each other in through vulnerability and authenticity and deep, profound love. And so it is in our brother and friend's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So Jesus, heard of him? The Messiah, the one with dazzling, glittering robes and hair that kind of slays in the wind. He doesn't often tell his disciples, this not yet formed Christian church, what the church will look like in his wake. You have to think, Peter, James, John, and the others are simply just excited to be in the presence of Jesus. They have no clue what the ending of the story will be and the beginning of this new adventurous life of telling God, telling people about God's love from sea to shining sea. They have no clue what is to come. So when Jesus talks about the quote-unquote church, I wonder if they're a little confused, if he's talking about just a simple gathering of people, how they are to behave, or if he's foreshadowing something that is yet to be, something they know nothing about. Jesus only invokes the word church twice. Again, church is something yet to exist. It's just a glimmering in God's eye. So Jesus invokes the word church twice in the Gospel of Matthew. Peter will be the rock of the church And here is how the church is to behave, especially in the midst of conflict, is what Jesus says. Because Lord knows bringing people together means conflict. We are, I don't know if you've noticed, a sweaty, smelly bunch. We each have our own personal self-interest and our instincts for survival. And yet Jesus calls us together, this sweaty, smelly bunch, and he calls us beloved. Jesus asked us to draw out the best in one another, ask the hard questions, and seek to bring each other deeper and further into the circle of community of the church life, because that's what church is, getting our lives mixed up together. So this passage, for all of its redemption and restoration, is about getting our lives mixed up together. But I have to check myself. If you were paying attention at all in the last five minutes to Juan Pablo's testimony, I have to check myself before I wreck this sermon because this passage for some of us is not about restoration and redemption. It's also a a passage of pain and trauma. 
This practice that Jesus teaches people has been used and abused by churches to single out people in the past, particularly queer people, people who are just sexually active, people with addictions, people with questions, people who believe in science. This passage has been used and abused to perpetuate groupthink, mob-like mentality. It's been used to stoke fear and alienate those who are different, those who dare to be themselves, and then it rejects them from the community, creating this group of hodgepodge spiritual refugees. This passage might be triggering for some of you, particularly our LGBTQ siblings who were pulled aside and confronted and then shamed in front of entire congregation to talk about how you talk to your parts. As, a, uh, as something you needed to change about yourself. So before moving on, we have to say this passage has been used particularly to ostracize and condemn people, and that is wrong. Full stop. God is proud of the queer, period. You belong here. Take a breath. Yeah. I know. I know this passage has been taken out of context. And when I told my grandmother, who is not LGBT inclusive, but definitely knows how much I love all of you, that I was preaching this passage, all she replied was, dot, 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 all caps mark, whoa. (laughs) This passage, when taken out of context for a lot of Christian communities, is taken out of context because we fail to read the other passages around it. Do you know the other passages around this text? But you might know this passage. Well, I'm here to tell you, you know what it says? You know that this Bible, this Jesus teaching word of the Lord says, it says that if someone walks away from God like a sheep, fearful and searching, God goes after them. God leaves this large flock in the hands of a stupid sheepdog and goes to find this lost, possibly hurting one. And God doesn't then condemn the sheep for its forgetfulness or its wandering away. God rescues it and restores it to that community and that dumb sheepdog. You know what else this Bible says? You know what else the Bible? Jesus is teaching the word of the Lord and the lamp unto our feet says, it says when someone does wrong to you, when you've been hurt and when you hurt another, you don't just forgive them seven times, but you forgive them 77 times. You know why? Because the cycle of pain and fear and anxiety is not easily broken because forgiveness is a daily process of breathing in the love of God and breathing out hatred. And that my friends, I can testify does not happen overnight because I know I whisper passive aggressive prayers of, Oh God, bless them about, and then about the 76th time I start to mean, Oh God bless them in their pain, in their heart, because the cycle of fear and pain is so pernicious and it invades our culture. We know this because the Bible, the Jesus is teaching the word of the Lord tells us that the only way to break this cycle of oppression is God has to come into our midst and invade our space, show us the meaning of love. And then even love cannot win, but God must send his son to die in order for love to win out because pain and oppression and hatred are so far filling our society. The cycle of never being enough, never having enough, never doing enough pervades our minds and in hearts and infects our communities. And so it is the reason forgiveness and mercy sometimes evade our world. The belief that not only I can't be forgiven, but this community can never be whole, that relationships can't be repaired and that hope cannot be restored is a common feeling. 
but we also need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves because the story of the God we serve is a story of a God who calls us to check our needs and our desires and our past hearts, hurts against the abilities of our God, the one who calls us to demand that we accept our neighbor and our neighbor's children from systems that try to use and abuse them just because we believe our God calls us to that, but not only that, because we believe our neighbor will demand acceptance of us as well. And so we are called to bring people back into community multiple times rather than thrusting them out. The truth and the beauty of this passage is, is that although it has been used to abuse people in the past, what Jesus is really calling us to is to say those people, when mental illness sneaks into their brain and says they don't belong here, actually we pull them in and say, no, you are a beloved child of God. And when they can't get it into their brain that they are a beloved child of God, we bring in more people to surround them and say, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Those lies are not true. You are beautiful. Your brain might be lying to you now, but you belong here. That when they feel like they don't belong still, we bring them in front of the community and pray and love and say, you are a beloved child of God. Because that pain is so deep inside of us that in order to reconcile ourselves and our community to God, we have to come together as a community, pulling people even closer into the circle of God's presence. That's why Jesus references the forgiveness of others, not only seven times, but 77 times playing with the absurdity of numbers because the absurdity is that the cycle of oppression keeps taunting us, taunting us to oppress ourselves and to oppress others. The anxiety of not being enough or having enough, we need to beat it back so many times that we talk. Uh, we continue to tell ourselves not only 77 times, but seven times, 77 times, which if you don't do math very well, like me is 539 times. We need the loving smack of God beaten into us to banish out all fear and allow grace to come in. And it's hard. It's hard to be in community, getting our lives mixed up together, reminding each other that we are beloved. But ultimately, we are called to be a community that calls people in, not a community that calls people out. And when someone doesn't or is not able to seek forgiveness, when strong boundaries have to be drawn because the pain is too much that has been inflicted, we can still treat each other like Gentiles and tax collectors, which school, let me tell you, means that we still sit with each other, eat with each other, and love each other just as Jesus did with Gentiles and tax collectors. So be warned, forgiveness is a radical act. It causes us to regularly check the ways we talk to ourselves and talk about ourselves negatively. It causes us to regularly check how we negatively talk about our brother and sister and sibling of fate. It causes us to check our community so that we can continue to be pulling people more fully into the center rather than pushing people out, looking for new ways to welcome and include and more include. So forgiveness is the ability to show God's radical love and mercy because we know the grace of God does not enter the world with a wave of a hand, but forgiveness, the pulling of hurting people closer to the center and the restoration of creation requires a radical historical shift. God didn't just pull out an eraser and wipe away systems of oppression. God did not just forgive those who would deny him multiple times, who preferred to worship golden calves, who preferred to fear famine rather than trust. God knew that to get it into our thick heads, 
and push past the muck that we've made of our own lives and our community. Forgiveness required God to slip on human skin and flesh and die a death and be raised again in order to change the ways of our life. And that is why it is possible. So we shouldn't be surprised that our default might be to kick people out or fear people or breed hate. But forgiveness, when we are powerful and brave enough to do it, will create systemic shifts, will create earthquakes among us, shaking out the former practices we had and bringing people further in more deeply. That's why on Sunday mornings and in our small groups, at coffee shops, we do the radical act of God. The church life of getting our lives mixed up together. The church life of texting one another late at night just because we so desperately need to be reminded that we are not alone. This life and act is not about who gives the most to the church or who gives a little bit. We're all equally responsible for caring for each other. And so we don't keep a running tab of who needed more texts that week or who needed a meal that week or who had a baby and then it needed meals for three months because we are called to model a life of following God. And that means we do it without keeping tabs on one another, but do it because we are pulling each other in more fully. We do these things because God's forgiveness tells us there is enough space in the community, enough time to work through our problems, enough patience for us to heal. There's enough to restore and celebrate our life together. So our goal for life together is not to absolve each other of our debts or brush past mistakes. We're supposed to actually create a culture where when somebody makes a mistake, we say, hey, hey, this happened and it's okay. Where we receive that calling, not as a threat, but a calling further into relationship. Where God's forgiveness is not just for the worthy, but where all have been redeemed and called by their name and are considered beloved children of God. Will you pray with me? God, restoring to community, it doesn't happen overnight. And we are a community of people who need trust. Our trust has been broken among communities before. And so, God, we come to you pouring out our hearts, hoping, hoping, God, that you have created a space for us where we can trust again. We pray for Urban Village Church that we continue, God, to live into that call to be a trustworthy community that calls people in more fully, that brings the circle a little bit wider so that, God, those who are spiritual refugees, those who feel like they do not have a place to belong, have a space and a place to belong here. So that we, too, can be reconciled to you, God, by being reconciled with each other. And so we pray in the name of our brother and friend, Jesus. Amen. Now is the time in our worship where we pass our gifts with one another. We'll be um, passing offering baskets. If this is your first time to Urban Village, um, your gift of your tear-off slip is gift enough to us. We would love to take you out for coffee and get to know you better, learn more about who you are, and remind you that you are a beloved child of God. 
If this is uh, the place where you regularly find yourself challenged and comforted by God's word, we invite you to give and give financially because your gift not only supports Urban Village Church here in South Loop, but it supports the multiple sites we have stretching throughout the city, multiplying God's good love and effect throughout Chicago. And so we'll pass our offering baskets as we reflect on God's word. Jesus knew that reconciliation was not an easy thing. He knew this because he knew what was about to happen. As he gathered with his disciples, those people who were going to mess up, the failures and the freaks, he brought them in to this table and he offered them this meal that at that time actually probably didn't mean a whole lot to them yet because they didn't know that they were going to be failures. He gave them this institution, this command, as a way of reminding them every time you are together, remember me. Remember that you are so beloved, no matter how many times you fail. You come back to this table knowing you are celebrated. And so he took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he said, friends, friends, this is my body. It is broken just as the world is broken, just as you and I sometimes feel broken. It is for you. Do this as often as you eat it and remember me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper and after pouring it out, he said, friends, this is a new covenant. A reminder that no matter how many times that little snake inside your head tells you that you don't belong, it is a lie. You belong here. You are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And so this is for you. Because as often as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we remember that we are reconciled to our God. And so will you pray with me? God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be poured out upon this bread and cup. May it be for us the body of Christ that restores us to you. May it be for us the cup of the new covenant reminding us, God, of the call to go out and remind others that they are so beloved by you, to be drawn more fully into community and in your presence. And so, God, we offer up this meal. Remind us that this is just a small foretaste of the banquet that is to come when you, God, have redeemed and reconciled and restored this whole world, that we will dance and party. We will drink more bread than our bodies can be filled with, drink more glasses of juice and wine, than can, um, and continue to celebrate your glory on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray the prayer that Jesus taught, 
And I invite you, church, to pray it in whatever your heart's language. Maybe you learned it in English or a different language. Maybe you learned it in Spanish. Maybe you learned it using different terminology than what everyone else is whispering beside you. But I invite you to pray in how you learned it, your heart's language. It's also on the screen if you need it there for you. We say, Our Father and Mother, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.